Let's go into Bill's case. This is a 51-year-old white male who was first seen by me for pancytopenia four years ago. He was diagnosed with hepatitis C in 2001 after some routine blood work showed abnormal liver function tests. He was thought to have contracted it from having tattoos as a teenager. A liver biopsy showed cirrhosis. Can you, I want, can you send this to my son? <laughs> <laughs> I had a rule my kids could have earrings but never tattoos. Yeah, that's our rule. Or they rule get too. cut off. <laughs> A liver biopsy showed cirrhosis, and he was treated by his gastroenterologist with PEG intron and ribovirin. His initial viral load was over a million, and his subtype was 1A. He did not clear with therapy, and the reason he was referred to our practice is because he was anemic from his hepatitis C treatment and was for erythropoietin therapy. He was seen by his liver physician, and a routine outfeed of protein was elevated at 70, although initial imaging studies were negative. He had significant cirrhosis, and he was referred to the University of Florida for a liver transplant. While there, a diagnosis of hepatocellular carcinoma was made, and he was treated at Shands with transarterial chemoembolization with lipidiol in August of 2004. Do you know why that was done? I don't. I did inquire and find out he did not receive chemotherapy. How often is that done in patients waiting for transplant, David? Well, I think there's two separate questions hidden in there. One is how often do we use bridge therapy right. as transarterial chemoembolization or other bridge therapies for transplant? And the second is specifically relating to the lipiodol. Lipiodol is an old drug. It's an oily poppy seed chemical concoction that seems to be more selectively taken up by liver cancer, HCC, than background cirrhosis. It was widely used for decades in Asia and Europe and even in the United States but for the most part has fallen off by the wayside. Just this year, there was a meta-analysis from the Royal Free Group in England where they looked at all the randomized clinical trials with chemoembolization and found no benefit to lipiodol, whether with or without. We stopped using it a decade ago for the following reason, that once you give it, it sticks around in the liver for about a year or two, and it completely obscures any interpretation of future imaging studies. And we found that that is very important in managing these patients, being able to know, are you having a tumor response or not? Only half of hepatomas in the United States are AFP positive, and so most of the time you're relying on your imaging studies. So we don't use lipiodol at all is the answer to that. Regarding bridge therapy for transplant, therapies consist of laparoscopic radiofrequency ablation, percutaneous ethanol injection, or regional liver treatment with either the TACE or yttrium-90 internal radiation with serospheres or serospheres. We haven't touched on that much, but that is an additional treatment modality for HCC that's inoperable. And I think you have to know your geography. If the patient has a predicted long wait time, more than three months, you don't want them to fall off the list because the cancer progresses, and we will offer bridge therapy treatment. There is not good randomized data showing benefit to bridge therapy, yet most liver transplant surgeons feel that there's a role for it in appropriately selected patients. So what happened with the patient? So he received a single course of embolization in August of 2004. His alpha protein was 349. When he was transplanted in November 8, 2004, it had dropped somewhat to 282. Pathology from the liver transplant showed a 1.5-centimeter hepatocellular carcinoma. Subsequently, his alpha protein has remained normal. However, following transplant, he developed recurrent hepatitis C in the transplanted liver, requiring treatment with PEG intron and ribovirin. He also had immunosuppressive therapy with tacrolimus. He had a liver biopsy 16 months post-transplant that showed chronic hepatitis, grade 3, stage 4 to 5, no rejection. 
When taken off antiviral therapy, he developed worsening liver disease with ascites requiring paracentesis, and he's now back on pegintron and was referred back to me for erythropoietin therapy. There's been no recurrence of his hepatocellular carcinoma. Lewis, can you comment on this case and particularly the reinfection that occurred? Yeah, I think a number of issues. The one is the fact that he originally had genotype 1A. You know, we've, we've had substantial improvements in treatment of hepatitis C over the past 10 to 15 years. Ten years ago, I think, when we only had interferon available, there was perhaps a 10 to 15% durable response rate. I think overall we are looking at perhaps 60% durable response rates, but those response rates are very genotype dependent. So patients, unfortunately, the most prevalent genotype in the United States is genotype 1. About 70% of our patients have that, and they have a lower response rate, perhaps a 40 to 50% range. On the other hand, patients with genotypes 2 or 3 have about an 80 to 90% response rate to the standard pegylated interferon and ribavirin therapy. So that's one issue. And so this is not unusual to see a patient that did not respond to therapy. And I think then the second issue, of course, is the recurrence after liver transplantation. That's a big challenge because most patients with chronic hepatitis C will develop hepatitis C in the transplanted liver. And then presumably because they are on immunosuppression and have lost their innate immune system's ability to combat the infection, they tend to have a more rapid progression of their hepatitis C and often will come back to retransplantation. And so that's, I think, a big challenge facing the hepatology community. From what you can tell, Bill, does it sound like clinically his hepatitis got worse after the transplant? Definitely. It took a little while, but definitely got worse. He wasn't requiring paracentesis. So what's the long-term outlook for this patient, Lewis? It's challenging because he likely will develop cirrhosis, full-blown cirrhosis. And then the question will be, is he a candidate for a second liver transplant? And then that just depends on how he presents, I think, it looks as though he at least is fortunate in that there's no evidence of recurrence of the hepatocellular carcinoma. And so our presumption would be that if he developed cirrhosis at the time when he was still a candidate for a major surgery like a liver transplantation, he might be a candidate for retransplant. How's that decision made, David? There are ethical decisions that are not easy. But Lewis, I think, hit the nail on the head in that It's a very interesting observation that it can take two or three decades for hepatitis C to destroy a liver and become symptomatic with portal hypertension and problematic cirrhosis, yet post-liver transplant, it's accelerated not from decades, but in months to years. It can happen in six months, a year, two years. So very rapid recurrence. There's a subset that will rapidly recur, and unfortunately, we're not very good at predicting which that subset is. It may be 10 to 20% of them will have this rapid accelerated recurrence where they're now in trouble with ascites and eventual liver failure. Each center has their own philosophy. There are some liver transplant programs in the United States that will not do high-risk redo. A redo hep C case is a high-risk case by definition. And the long-term prognosis is poor because you're like, well, how are we going to present it from happening if we give them a second liver? And the answer is we can't, and it probably it will occur. Yet once we do a liver transplant on a patient, we feel that we have an ethical commitment to the patient to treat them with all options available down the road. So we will go and relist them and retransplant them, knowing that they're high risk and 
patients will complain because they can get sick in a hurry and jump to the top of the list and when other patients are waiting and you know these are ethical difficult decisions we have to make from the cancer perspective i think he's probably cured he's almost two years out or a year and a half out and had a small tumor so i think that was well managed He's certainly at risk, but right now his biggest risk is this recurrent hep C now with damage to his new liver resulting in ascites. And it's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse in this patient. What about second transplants for HCC? If you were to develop another HCC, or does that happen? It's been described, but not very popular or common. If HCC recurs post-transplant, we'll typically offer non-operative approaches, a percutaneous ablate. Typically, we'd hope we'd catch it small and not widespread as an advanced HCC because we have good surveillance strategies in place. And if we catch it early, we can activate percutaneous radiofrequency ablation, ethanol injection. I think that this is a subset of patients in the future that may be applicable for Nexavar. I mentioned we have an IRB submission for a phase two protocol for adjuvant next of our post-transplant, but as we've already talked about, there's issues related to the immunosuppression. Once a tumor recurs, you can say, well, now the cancer is actually back. It's not adjuvant. We're in a treatment mode, so there may be a good role for... If it's a single lesion that's amenable to ablation, I would recommend to a patient they undergo that at less than two centimeter. If we can't control it by that means, then we would have a next of our chemoembolization as a backup modalities. One of the interesting observations is that when the cancer recurs in an HCC patient who's been transplanted, the commonest site of recurrence is in the liver. And it's probably not the multifocal field effect, although in this patient it may be, but it probably is a homing mechanism of the original hepatocellular cells that were circulating at the time of transplant. I mean, and there have been a few analyses showing the same genetic features of the cancer in the new liver compared to the original. So these tumors have a predisposition to regrow in the liver. So you're saying it's kind of a met to the transplanted liver? Wow. Let me just add that we do have a research program looking at genotyping of these tumors. There was a paper in 2003 that our group published on 103 hepatoma patients post-transplant in the resected specimen, and now we validated that genotyping using independent data sets from Mount Sinai, from Myron Schwartz's program, and that paper's in press. It's important to differentiate, even when a patient has multifocal hepatoma, is that intrahepatic metastasis with identical genotype, which carries a much worse prognosis than if you had two lesions that were two de novo stage one tumors, which arguably could be cured with liver transplant and wouldn't need any adjuvant therapy. So we're utilizing the genotyping of the pathologic specimens to make clinical decisions. And we've even applied that prospectively in a few cases where we had a 45-year-old with three tumors in the liver and child C cirrhosis. And we went in and did laparoscopic biopsies because one of the issues, how do you get access to these tissues safely in a child C cirrhotic with ascites when they're small marble lesions. And this is just anecdotal, but we've made prospective decisions saying that these are intrapatic metastasis. Your risk is terrible post-transplant. We decided not to transplant that patient. And that's an enormous decision to come and tell a patient, we need better biomarkers and genetics. And we're in that era now of the research moving in that direction to try and make intelligent, rational decisions, both retrospectively and prospectively for these patients. And I think the field is evolving and will continue to evolve in that direction. But the genotyping, it's not widely applied. It's not standardized, but there are a few companies now that are out that you can commercially order these assays from the tumor specimens, and they can even be formal and fixated livers. It's a laser capture micro dissection of the tumor, looking at a genotyping of a subset of genes in association with proto-oncogenes and tumor suppressor genes.